Growing up, I never realized just how much responsibility you had to have as an adult. I mean, there is so much stuff that parents do that kids just never see. Paying bills, getting your oil changed, doing your taxes. As a kid, I had no idea these things even existed. I mean, my parents went through the recession in 2008. I was 11. I had no idea there even was a recession. You know, they're sitting there in the dining room stressed about how they're going to buy food for us. And my biggest concern was just beating my brother's high score on Guitar Hero. I wish I could be a kid again. And some of you guys are sitting there thinking, Nathan, you have no idea what real responsibility is. You're not married. You don't have kids. You don't know what real stress is. And you're right. So I'm just going to enjoy this while I can. But as a kid, there's just some things that don't apply to you. Kids don't need to worry about their taxes. They don't need to pay their electric bills. And that's kind of the reality of our talk today. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to teach you how to file your tax returns. But just like a tax lecture wouldn't really apply to a child, our talk today may not fully apply to you. If you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, then what I'm going to talk to you about might not be fully applicable to you. But that doesn't mean it's not important. Taxes are still important, even if a child doesn't have to worry about them right now. And if you're here and you're not a Christ follower, I would argue accepting Jesus into your life is way more important for you than what we're going to talk about today. We're in a series called Money, Sex, and Power. Each of these three things have become an idol in our culture. We place them on a pedestal and we center our whole lives around them. We discovered that an idol is a good thing that we have turned into an ultimate thing. We also learned that an idol is something that we turn to to give you what only God can. These things aren't bad, but they're not the reason for your existence. And they certainly shouldn't be placed above God as our sole pursuit. Today, we are going to be talking about sex. Now, like I said before, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you're rolling your eyes and you're thinking, oh, great, here we go again. You know, the church is here to shove their morals down my throat. Before you tune me out, that's not what I'm saying. We are going to talk about a biblical view of sex. But what I'm not saying is that you need to follow this advice in order for God to love you. I'm not saying that. Following biblical advice for sex isn't going to make God love you. Following this advice isn't going to make you go to heaven. Following this advice isn't going to save your soul. You could abstain from sex your whole life and still go to hell if you haven't accepted Jesus' gift of forgiveness into your life. Your sexuality won't save you. Only Jesus will. So if you're not there yet, please don't misunderstand me. I'm far more interested in introducing you to Jesus than getting you to just act like a good Christian. Because if we only address the behavior, then we're missing the real point. We have to start with the foundation of what do I believe about God? And if you're not there yet, then no amount of me saying, this is what the Bible says about sex will matter to you at all. And I don't blame you. This is what Christians get wrong sometimes. Why would somebody who doesn't believe in God care about what God says about their sexuality? If we start by pushing people to act more moral, then what we're communicating is God will only love you if you can get your act together first. You know, I need to act a certain way. I need to do the right things, clean up my life. Then God will love me. And that is completely unbiblical. God loves you despite your past, despite your shortcomings, despite your sin, And he loves you so much that Jesus died for you on the cross. Not just to change your outward behavior, but your inward desires. So now we follow Jesus because of God's love for us, not to earn God's love. 
Now, on the flip side, if you're here today and you have accepted Jesus, you know, you believe that God made you, loves you, knows what's best for you, and you look at what God wants for you and you say, nah, I'm good. I'm just going to live my own way. That's also wrong. You know, it's one thing to say, I don't want to adopt God's morality because I don't believe in God. But it's another thing to say, yeah, I believe in him. I want to follow him, but I'm not willing to change. I'm not willing to orient my life to serve him. And sadly, there's a lot of Christians who live like that. If that's you, I want to challenge you today. Sexual purity won't save your soul, but sexual impurity will endanger your soul. Now, talking about sex is awkward. And to be honest, I was pretty uncomfortable when I saw my name next to this topic on the preaching schedule. I thought, I'm a single guy. Why on earth would Pastor Darren ever want me to speak on this? You know, why not get some expert to come in? Why not get somebody who can actually talk from experience? I'm convinced this is some sort of punishment for something I did. But Darren told me actually exactly why he chose me to speak on this. Because it doesn't matter what my experience is with this. We're not here to listen to my opinion. We're not here to listen to 10 tips from a married guy on his opinion on sex. I'm not speaking from experience. I'm speaking from God's word. And so for all of you out there who are single, I'm right there with you. All the temptations and struggles you face in this area, I face every single day. So what exactly does the Bible say about sex? Well, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one is that God created you. God created you. Okay, what does this have to do with sex? Well, actually, everything. We have to start there. Now, I'm simply reiterating what I mentioned before, but it's important to remember that if we're here today and we believe in Jesus, we have to accept this reality that God is our creator. This is what the Bible says. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Let's just get this straight for a second. We did not create ourselves. We did not all of a sudden will ourselves into existence. That's impossible. Something outside of us made us. And that something is God. And as our creator, he owns us and he makes the rules. Let me give you an example. Here in my hand, I have an iPhone. Now, I imagine most of us have a a smartphone of some sort. Who can tell me what the purpose of the iPhone is? You know, why was the iPhone made and what can it do and how am I supposed to use it? What if I came along and told you that the purpose of my iPhone is to be a coaster, right? To put my drink on top of. I mean, it works as a coaster, right? I can put it on the table and put my drink on top of it. And look, the, t- the cup is not touching the table. So that is the reason the iPhone exists. But then someone else comes along and they say, no, no, no. The reason for the iPhone is to be a doorstop, right? And you could take the same iPhone and you could prop it under a door and look, the door stays open. Is that the reason the iPhone exists? Of course not. Who's the only person qualified to tell me why this exists? It would be the person who created the iPhone, Steve Jobs and Apple. Apple is the only people qualified to tell me why the iPhone exists and all that it can do. Why? Because they created the iPhone. I can come up with my best guesses and I can even make it do stuff that it wasn't originally designed to do, but they're just that. They're just guesses. Only the creator of the iPhone can tell me why it exists and how it should be used. And the only person qualified to tell you why you exist and how you should live is your creator. You can make your best guess. You could try to find meaning and purpose in hundreds of different things. You can search for meaning in a career, in a relationship, in money, in power, and yes, even in sex. 
And that's what we see in our world today. Sex is elevated to God's status, and many of us look at it to bring some sort of fulfillment. But unless you go to the Creator, you will never truly know why you're here. God created us. He decides the right way to live. There's this beautiful analogy in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, that says this. It says, what sorrow awaits those who argue with their Creator? Does a clay pot argue with the one who shapes it? Saying, stop, no, you're doing it wrong. Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? It sounds ridiculous, but we do this every day. God, I know that you say this in your word, but I'm going to do this instead. See, the reality is that God is our maker and our sustainer, and that should affect every part of our lives, not just our sexuality. We were created by God. We exist to serve God, not the other way around. God knows what's best for us and how we should live, so he decides the rules. And you know what? That's probably for the best. All you have to do is flick on the news and you can see that humanity is not a great source of morality and how we should live. We cannot agree on a single thing. Why? Because we don't always know what's best for us. We don't always see the bigger picture. If you've ever had the unpleasant job of trying to convince a toddler to finish their vegetables, you know what I'm talking about. Trying to convince a toddler that vegetables is good for them is like trying to convince Pastor Darren to stop telling so many dad jokes in his sermons. It's not going to happen. You see, kids don't have the same understanding as parents do, and we don't have the same understanding as God does. What we think is good for us isn't always the case. And then we look at our creator and we say, you don't know what you're talking about. I know what's best for me. It's foolish. So we have to start there that God created us and he decides what's right and wrong. Now, you're sitting there and you're thinking, Nathan, we're already like 10 minutes into the sermon and you've barely talked about sex. But I'm really trying to drill home the reality that if we don't start here, then what God says about sex doesn't matter. If we don't start with the foundation that God decides what is right and wrong, then who cares what the Bible says? What's the point? It's only when we start here that we can discover what he says about sex. And more importantly, why that matters. So here's our second point of today, if you're taking notes. Number two is that God created sex. God created sex. There it is. Not only did God create us, but he also created sex. Sometimes churches talk about sex like it's this icky, evil desire within all of us that just needs to be extinguished at all costs. You know, sex is bad, and if you have the desire for sex, then you're bad, and that's just not true. What we see from the very beginning is that God created sex and it was good. If we go back to the book of Genesis, the story of God creating the world and the first humans, when God places Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he's the one that tells them to have sex. Genesis 1.28 says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Be fruitful and multiply, that is just Bible talk for get busy and have kids. Now, this is before sin ever enters the world. Sex is not bad. God created it. He designed our bodies for it. He commanded the first humans to do it. The idea that sex in and of itself is bad is a lie. So why is there so much taboo around it? Well, that brings me to my next point. If you're taking notes, sex is powerful. Sex is powerful. Now, we all know this is true. Sex is powerful. Think about it. It literally has the power to bring life into this world. It is a powerful tool that God has given us that we can either use for good or for evil, which is why when sin gets its grubby little paws on sex, it can do so much damage. 
Like all things, when sin enters the picture, sex gets distorted. Even though it's a good thing, when it's distorted, it can become bad. Even good things, when taken to the extreme, can become bad. You know, watching how you diet can quickly turn into an eating disorder. Maintaining good exercise can quickly become an obsession with your looks. Being wise with your money can quickly become greed. And sex, when used improperly, can quickly become distorted and its effects can be ruthless and devastating. We've seen the devastating effects of the misuse of sex in our world. Sexual assaults, pedophilia, sex trafficking, pornography addictions, affairs. I mean, the list can go on forever. Sex has an incredible power. When used properly, sex can bring emotional and physical depth and connection to a husband and wife. And when used improperly, it can cause trauma, distrust, and emotional, even physical damage. We have to realize today that what we're talking about is not insignificant. It has the power to heal and to damage. It has the power to bring life and death. And next week, we're going to talk about actually how to overcome the power of sexual sin in our life. Now, obviously, we need to think wisely about how we use sex. A sexual attitude that says, you know, whatever goes, it's actually dangerous. To say I should act on every sexual impulse I have would bring a lot of damage and harm to myself and others. We obviously need to have some guardrails when it comes to sex. But then who gets to decide how sex should be used? Surely it shouldn't be up to the individual to decide for themselves. That would be mayhem. You wouldn't say that to a pedophile. Yeah, whatever makes you feel good, go for it. I mean, you have to have some sort of standard, right? Who gets to decide? Now this comes back to the foundation that we laid at the beginning of our time together. If we believe that God created us, knows us, and loves us, then it can only be God. And if you're here today and you're feeling frustrated or conflicted in this area, you may consider the fact that sex was originally designed by God for a specific purpose. If we don't use it the way God designed it to be experienced, then we can't expect to experience it the way it was truly intended to. It's like using your iPhone as a coaster. You're selling yourself short. And this brings me to the final point of today. God sets the guardrails. God sets the guardrails. Since sex is such a powerful tool that God has given us, how can we use it in a way that brings life and not destruction? We trust and we follow God's way. Again, this only makes sense if we've done all of the work of understanding that God made us, loves us, owns us, and that we want to live for God. Adopting God's morality of sexuality will do nothing for your sinful soul. Whether you are gay or straight, sexually active or celibate, watching porn or not, your soul is just as sinful as the next person's and you're in need of a savior just as much. And if you've never accepted Jesus's gift of forgiveness before, I wanna give you that opportunity later on in our talk. But it's only once we've gotten there and we've said yes to Jesus that we reorient our lives around him. It's only there that we say, God, how can I honor you in every part of my life, including my sexuality? And it's only there that we come to the question, what does God expect of me when it comes to how I approach sex? And the Bible is very clear on how we honor God with our lives when it comes to sex. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Okay, there's two things I want to pinpoint in this verse. The first one is the word sexual immorality. Why don't you just underline that in your outline? What does that even mean? I mean, we see this term thrown around in the Bible all the time. The Bible clearly teaches, as your outline says, 
that sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of God's original design for sex to be experienced. And from the very beginning, we see that that is in a marriage relationship between one man and one woman. Again, this is not my opinion. It's simply what God says in his word. Remember, God created us and he created sex. So only God gets to decide the guardrails for sex to be experienced. Again, if you don't believe in God, don't misunderstand me. Avoiding sexual immorality will not save you or make God love you any more or less than he already does. This isn't going to save your soul. Before getting here, I would urge you to consider what it means to follow Jesus. But for the follower of Jesus who says that they want to honor God with their lives, how do they do it? They avoid sexual immorality. The second thing that I want to point out in this verse is the word sanctified. You can just underline that word in your outline. What does sanctified even mean? We see that thrown around in the Bible a lot too. Well, if you're taking notes, sanctification refers to the process of becoming more like Jesus. It's the process in which we orient our lives around Jesus and begin to follow him closer. And remember, it's a process. We don't always get it right. We still mess up. We give into temptation. We're not suddenly perfect once we accept Jesus. You will mess up. You will stumble. Thank God. God, that we have forgiveness and grace. Pick yourself back up and continue to pursue him. He doesn't hate you. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't want to shame you. He wants to help you. Becoming more like Jesus is a process that will continue our whole lives. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. God's not expecting you to conquer your battle with sin on day one. He simply wants you to put your trust in him and grow more like him one day at a time. So if you're here and you battle daily with sexual temptation, welcome to the club. You know, you wanna honor God, you wanna live for him, but temptation is a real struggle. I wanna urge you to come back next week because we're gonna talk about how to do that. How do we actually overcome sexual temptation as Christ followers? Because trust me, it's a lot easier said than done. But unless we start with the question of why, we're not gonna get very far. Temptation is real, and we live in a world that offers sex up to us on a silver platter. We also live in a world filled with people who have experienced the negative effects of sex on their life, dealing with trauma, addictions, and emotional damage. God comes and he offers us a better way. God made us, he made sex, and he wants us to experience that gift the way he intended. Will we trust him enough to follow his way over ours. Today, instead of leaving you with a big idea, I want to leave you with a big question because from it will flow your entire approach to sexuality. Here's our big question today. Who have I allowed to shape my view of sexuality? God? My parents? Culture? Maybe just myself? Something else? On your outline, why don't you just circle the one that best describes you? And if you circled something else, write it down in the blank. Own it. Recognize it. Who has shaped your view of sexuality and why? And most importantly, that question of why is important. If God has shaped your view of sexuality, why? Why have you allowed God to do that? If you've allowed culture to shape it, why? What makes culture worthy of shaping your sexuality? And maybe, just maybe, you'll realize that there is a better way. As we close today, maybe heard me talking a lot about how if you're not a follower of Jesus, your first step is to accept his gift of forgiveness on your life. 
And if you're here today and you've never made that decision before, I wanna lead you in a short prayer and I wanna give you an opportunity to accept that today. The Bible says that we've all sinned, that we're all in need of a savior. And God made a way for us to come back to him. By Jesus dying on the cross, he paid the moral debt for our sin so that we didn't have to pay the punishment ourselves. Now he offers each of us a choice. Will we accept that and follow him or reject it? If you're here today and you've never before made a decision to follow Jesus, would you pray this prayer with me if you want to accept him? Say, God, I've messed up. I've sinned. I've turned my own way and I've done my own thing. I don't deserve your love. I can never earn your love. But today I choose to accept this gift of forgiveness that you offer me. I choose to turn away from my sin and I choose to follow you. Thank you for new life. Today I give you mine. And God, for every other person listening today, I pray that we would be people who choose to honor you with our bodies and our minds. Help us in our battle against sexual immorality. Help us to go to you in times of temptation. I pray for every person struggling in this area. I pray for those who have experienced the negative effects of sex on their life. I pray for healing. I pray that you would redeem that for them. We lift all of this up to you in your name. Amen. If you're here today and you accepted Jesus into your life for the first time, or you need prayer for anything that's going on in your life, I wanna encourage you to text the number on the screen. A pastor will answer your questions, get back to you with praying for you and telling you what your next steps are in your faith journey. Now, before you click off, I wanna encourage you this coming Wednesday evening, we are gonna be going deeper on this topic. We're actually bringing in David Miner, who's a registered therapist and clinical social worker, And he's gonna be unpacking this topic of sex a bit more and there'll be time for Q&A. All the details for that are on our website. We really hope to see you there. God bless.